I still have my office job because it's really hard to live full time from the water. But at least it's, I mean, my job is just my job. It's not who I am, mm. right? So I think if you have something outside of your 9 to 5 or 8.30, 4.30, that brings you passion, that brings you joy, that you look forward to doing, then that job is not a hardship anymore, right? It's just a means to an end. Absolutely. It depends which dive shop you're working for, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant my day job is means to an end, and then the diving is pure joy at all times. <laughs> It's episode 31 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Irene Marcoux. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba, tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every week on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin. I'm April. And I'm Nick. And we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Tonight, we're speaking to Irene Marcoux. Irene is a freediving instructor, paddy course director, and brand ambassador for Girls That Scuba. She spent her life in and around the water. She's an advocate for plus-size divers and co-founder of Plus Size Scuba Girls. We couldn't be happier to have her on the show. Irene, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Super happy to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Recording taking longer than we want because the joys of the internet in 2020. In the news tonight, we got a ruling today from the National Transportation Safety Board in the U.S. on the dive boat fire that killed 34 people on the vessel, the Conception, in California last year. The five-member board ruled unanimously on Tuesday that it was a lack of oversight by the owners, Truth Aquatics, that led to the 2019 fire, one of the deadliest maritime disasters in California's history. So the fire was started, they decided, by a charging station full of cell phones and camera batteries, a fire exactly like the one started on their sister ship. The vision earlier of that fire, though, was uh, quickly put out and didn't cause any lasting damage. They also mentioned that the escape hatch was blocked by a bunk. It was unusable and they didn't have a night watch, which is required. So they topped it off with this quote. I hate the term accident in this case, because in my opinion, this is not an accident if you fail to operate your company safely. That's just pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just really sad, right? There's there isn't just yeah. a lot to add, right? It's I think I think the one connection I can make to like maybe diving and safety, it's, you know, mm-hmm. the part where they said that they can't call it an accident. I think that kind of a little bit echoes a little bit, you know, when there's a, any other accident and, you know, the report just says, oh, well, it was human error, right? Mm-hmm. But it's usually a lot more than that. But uh, yeah, it's it's sad. Yeah. And uh, the NTSB doesn't have any enforcement powers, so they can't, their ruling doesn't really do anything other than like say, this is what we've decided. But apparently uh, court documents indicate that separate charges are imminent against the boat's captain. So we'll have to see what things, see what happens as things go there. I mean, the one thing I will say is I'm like super paranoid about leaving batteries charging unattended. Mm-hmm. Like when I leave the house, mostly because I have my dog in the house or in the apartment, right. I will literally unplug everything that's plugged in because just I just paranoid. Do you mean like any battery? Yep. If I have, I won't leave a laptop or like a cell phone or my Roomba like charging or anything. Really? Yep. Wow. I leave my Roomba charging all day and like I charge <laughs> my cell phone overnight and everything is constantly plugged in. 
Oh, I charge I charge my cell phone <laughs> overnight, but like I won't I wouldn't leave like my my computer or something that's charging when I'm not home. Really? Yeah, I wow. think the big the mm-hmm. biggest problem is a lot of the batteries and chargers for these uh, cameras are are all, a lot of these eighteen six fifty and and similar batteries that are made without a lot of oversight and charged on chargers that are not necessarily UL listed or you know mm-hmm. have any oversight when they're made and then when you plug in twenty of them into a power strip plugged into a power strip plugged into a power strip you're just setting yourself up for disaster. Well, that's true too. You probably noticed the mitt wasn't there in the open and uh, unfortunately a mitt. Couldn't make it tonight due to technical internet difficulties. Those internet demons in Nova Scotia are the worst. He's going to be really upset too because he always complains about how much he pays for his internet and now it's not work. <laughs> it's time to sign up for that purple cow he's been talking about. Purple cow. Yeah, got to get on. Got to get not on that sponsored. new internet. Not, <laughs> do, not sponsored. Do you think by we could get purple cow sponsorship? Oh my yeah, gosh. can purple cow sponsor us? Di- Let's just try it out. Dive in the podcast. Brought to you by the purple cow. I like I, it. I like it. We're waiting, Purple Cow. We're here when you are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Last week, we chatted with you, April. The episode went awesome. We had some good feedback. How'd the Sea Foxes like it? The Sea Foxes liked it a lot. Jess sent me a text and she was like, oh my God, I'm so emotional. (laughs) And I was like, oh, sweet. But yeah, I think they were happy with it. (laughs) Yeah, you had some good quotable moments there. So it it was pretty touching. Yeah, Ross told me it was, what did he say? He basically said it didn't sound staged or scripted. And I was like, yes, because I was literally doing it, like, just (laughs) pulling it out of my ass. Like, it was not scripted. Was the implication that we script our shows? No, he just said most podcasts he listens to sound scripted. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll let you slide this time, Ross. Jess sent us a message on Instagram saying, oh my God, Justin explaining regs, literally so much info. I had no idea there was so much to know about them. And I honestly, I felt like I did a disservice because I was talking about cold water regulators and I barely touched on cold water regulators. I I guess I should have (laughs) called that segment regulators. Oh, well, maybe we'll circle back and do more cold water in the future. Well, don't most teachers say, like, if I can teach one person one thing, my job (laughs) is complete. Well, you did it, Justin. You reached the goal of your segment. I reached the goal and uh, I transferred the knowledge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, guess what? What? We have a brand new website. No way. We do. We do. Yeah, it's a real thing. Diveinpod.com. Shorter, easier, rolls right off the tongue. Wow. And what what can people find on this website? You can find all of our episodes. You can find bios for all the hosts. You can find transcripts. That's a work in progress. There's basically no information about the podcast that you would want that you can't find on diveinpod.com. That's pretty awesome. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, there's some Easter eggs buried in there too. So make sure you go over there and look around and see what you can find. Easter eggs? Really? I haven't found that. But Halloween's coming up. Halloween's okay. They're Halloween eggs, then. Uh, <laughs> eggs. <laughs> you can call them whatever you want. Halloween eggs. <laughs> April's uh. laughing way more than the level of funny that I expected that to be. <laughs> I actually couldn't breathe for a second. It caught me so off guard. <laughs> oh, that was good. Well, that was good. Well, if everybody could check out the new website, Dive In Pod. If you have any feedback, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Dive in the podcast at gmail.com you can send us a message there or reach out any of the normal social media ways we'd love to hear what you have to say about the new site 
So tonight, we've got a chance to sit down with Irene Marcoux. Irene, did you grow up near the water or on the ocean at all? I basically was born in the West Island of Montreal, so born and bred on the island of Montreal. Definitely not the ocean, but pool water, yes. I grew up on the water as much as possible. I was a swimmer, and it all stemmed from there. Right. You were involved in, what was it, uh, synchronized swimming? Yes. I started with speed swimming, but I was terrible at it. Like one of my coaches once said, he's like, oh, you swim pretty, but boy, you don't swim fast. So I transitioned to the synchronized swimming, which I did for many years and became a coach. And later I was also a lifeguard, lifeguard trainer, instructor trainer, brought me to diving. That probably set you up pretty well for learning to dive later on. What was that experience like? It was amazing. I did my first... uh, scuba diving class in college it was actually my phys ed course so I didn't have to run that was a big bonus and <laughs> I mean me being underwater all of a sudden not having to hold my breath after holding my breath for so many years in synchronized swimming I was like yeah this is the life and I was hooked <laughs> and now I'm back to holding my breath underwater so yes I was gonna say you've gone full circle <laughs> full circle except this time I'm relaxing underwater And the point is not to pass out underwater, which I really appreciate. So, Irene, you learned how to dive in 1997. What's the biggest change you've noticed from then to now? I think the technology, I would say, first first thing that comes to mind. Because Mm -hmm. back then, they like computers was only for tech divers. And so I learned how to use a watch uh, with my dive tables. And that's how I learned how to dive. I remember hearing about these cameras and they were like thousands and thousands of dollars. And it was just like so mesmerizing. And and Nitrox was like, again, you know, tech divers and, and super mysterious and cool sounding. And now it's just like, yeah, you know, you can, everybody has a computer or should have one. Everybody's got a GoPro <laughs> almost. And Nitrox is just normal, right? So I sound really old when I say this, but. For me, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind when I, I think of change. Everything is advanced so much. Yeah. Yes. I, I can I can totally relate to the, the watch and the computer and the tables, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you had a professional career before becoming a dive pro. What did that change mean for you? That change for me was just being happier, was being healthier uh, mentally and, and physically, just because... I've decided to now focus on having a professional life that is fulfilling, is an interesting, and that makes me happy instead of one that just brings more money in. So at least now I know when I go into work, I know when I get out of work, and then I have all my diving, and I don't have this super stress that I used to have before that, that was just so dark and, and depressing at times. That's pretty special. I think that's super inspiring because so many people are doing the uh, nine to five office job and knowing that working in the water and working in diving is an option is super inspiring. I still have my office job, you know, because it's really hard to live full time uh, from the water. Yep. <laughs> but at least it's so, I mean, my job is just my job. It's not who I am, mm. right? So I think if you have something outside of your 9 to 5 or 8.30, 4.30, that brings you passion, that brings you joy, that you look forward to doing, then that job is not a hardship anymore. 
right? It's just a means to an end. Absolutely. It depends which dive shop you're working for, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant my day jobs means to an end, and then the yeah. diving is pure joy at all times. <laughs> That's right. It always is. I, I do have a, a question, though, because you, you spent some time diving in Switzerland, and as a Swiss person, I've never actually dived there. So I want you to tell me what it's like and if there's any special place you'd recommend. Oh, uh, it was great diving in Switzerland because everything is just so beautiful there, like outside of the water obviously under the water it's very similar to canada it's cold it's dark but everything else is just wonderful like coming up from the, a dive and seeing uh chateau de chillon like mm. is, is mind-boggling or just this little Permance beach we, we didn't i did so many like hundreds of dives there training dives or just fun dives and there's a little stand outside that you know because it's also a beach it's also camping well you know you could pop out of your dive put away your dive gear and have a beverage adult or not and <laughs> that was you know and then you have the alps in front of you and overlooking the lake as you're hanging out with your dive buddies like what's not cool about that right but i have to say there is one spot in switzerland that is so cool it's mm. la gouille de trifon it is 10 meters deep okay it is a terrible viz. I think I saw one or two fish in the three dives I did there. <laughs> but what's cool about it is that they've put all these sculptures underwater. And it's a circuit that you have to use your compass with. And so you start at the beginning. And basically, there's a heading and how far away it is and what depth it is. And then you have to find the next sculpture. From there, there's another setting and so on and so forth. And it's been set up especially for divers. And some of the art is absolutely insane. Like there's a whole setup to show um, a Formula One sort of pit. So if you Google that. Yeah, I'm just, I literally just Google that. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And I have to say that was like, that's why I did my NAV course. And it is one of my favorite memories of diving like ever and again. It's dark, there's not much of us, but I had such a blast. And I, I wish we had something similar here, you know? That's pretty cool. Maybe we'll get one one day. <laughs> that sounds like a really neat idea. There you go. So you're the, the first female course director in Quebec. That's an amazing accomplishment. And I don't think a lot of people know quite how much of an accomplishment that is. I mean, maybe some scuba instructors do, but uh, the average diver, the amount of work that it takes to become a course director and attain that level of certification and all the certifications that go in to getting to that point. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Okay. The first time I ever thought of becoming a course director was uh, when I was doing my MSDT when I was in Thailand. And mm -hmm. the regional manager on Kotao at the time was like, Hey, you should think about that. I think you'd be good at it. And I was like, yeah, right. And quickly put that out of my mind because I was like, there's, there's no way I could make it to that level. But I kept working and uh, diving. I really enjoyed it. Came back to Canada, started working uh, with a local shop and ended up staffing uh, more IDCs here. And I went, oh yeah, I like this. And I think I'd be good at it. And then I decided to put in the work <laughs> yeah, right. to get to that. And which, you know, was takes a good two to three years of, of building your your build your business plan and building and getting all the credits you need and all the, the 
hoops you've got to jump through and mm-hmm. uh, the, cla- the, the classes, the seminars and, and all the, the bits and bobs you've got to do to get there on top of certifying the required numbers to become at least a master instructor level. Yeah, that's a long climb, <laughs> becoming a master instructor there for sure. Is it the teaching the students, the molding the students? Is that part of the reason why you teach? Yes. I think to be a good or a happier instructor is you can't just love diving. I mean, love diving, that's, come on, it's easy to do, right? Everybody loves diving. But to be a good instructor is have a passion to teach, which I think I do. And I've done it through when I was teaching swimming, synchronized swimming, or teaching coaches to become coaches when I was in the sport and then later in in lifeguarding, is making leaders and and share my passion, which is is to make dive pros and make more dive chickens, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Dive chickens. That's a new one. (laughs) (laughs) Dive chickens. I want my little chickens to hatch. What can I say? I say scuba babies, but I kind of like... Dive chickens. That's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> a little well, squid egg. Babies can be a little pejorative. Uh, uh, it's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. For me, I'm. You know, I'm just don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from you, it's totally adorable. So we're good. <laughs> there we go. There. I think I got it from Justin, actually. So. <laughs> yeah. It's always me. Yeah, it's always Justin. When in doubt, blame Justin. God. <laughs> just blame Justin yeah. for winning that. Yeah. 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 No. That's what we do here. You know, he's the guy that puts this together. So if something goes wrong, he gets the blame. Yes. Uh, I totally picked up on that. That's why I said, look, 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 got it. Got the land of the land. Quick. <laughs> yeah, she did it quick. <laughs> yeah. You're also an avid freediver and, and a freedive instructor. And you, you've talked about doing it as a personal challenge and, and to see if you'd be good enough. What did you mean by that? And, and what did you discover? For me, personal challenge, yes. Good. Okay, let's see how I can explain this. I guess I always wanted to try freediving, and then I wasn't sure if I would be able to. I was very confident in my dive skills. But, you know, seeing all those bikini babes with the booties out on Instagram, it sort of gave me a, you know, a different fear that I'm like, oh, maybe I can't do this so well. Or it was for specific types of uh, people, and... When I first started learning here, I realized there is a bit of a macho industry. And I was like, you know what? Now I think I want to try this anyways and push myself. And having somebody kind of hint that I I couldn't do this because I'm a plus size woman kind of kicked me in the butt to be like, yeah, I'll show you. (laughs) And that's how it kind of came about that I was like, I still have that kind of imposter syndrome sometimes. Like I'm still just a beginner in diving uh, in free diving. I'm not, I'm not a diver yet. Like I feel like I'm not there yet, but yeah, because there's just, I I just don't feel fit the mold, the the typical ideal of a free diver. Right. But yeah, that, that, that whole, Oh, well, you know, you're a scuba diver. You looking at me and well, he's what did I have been told? Oh yeah. Scuba divers don't know how to kick. So, you know, I don't know if you'd be able to do free diving. You know, <laughs> those are the kind of things you tell me and I'll go, yeah, yeah, you watch. And you're like, I used to be a competitive swimmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just competitive swimmer, a synchronized swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I can kick. <laughs> you, I can kick. I can kick a lot. 
And yeah. you know what? Those legs got bigger, so I can kick even more now. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think that I think you know, listening to that, I think that's I mean, first of all, good on you, and I think it's pretty awesome. But I also think that that really fits in with with you know sort of the the philosophy of freediving, right? That it it should be a way to discover and and challenge yourself, and sort of with that whole philosophy. And I think in a lot of ways in recent years, sort of like that social media feel of what a freediver looks like is kind of distorted and, you know, given as a very sort of like filtered view of what freediving is, I think. And I don't think that's always accurate. Yeah, and basically that's what pushed me to also, you know, become a, a freediver instructor is for those people who are struggling to feel comfortable. And if I can inspire, you know, one woman or person to be like, oh, I can do this? Really? Like, you inspired me? Then, wow, yes, please. Like, that's that's what I'm there for. Mm. And I guess, too, off that, just from a sea fox's standpoint, we engage with you a ton on Instagram. And we all love you. And they all wanted me to say hello because they are super excited I was chatting with you tonight. Uh, and when this COVID is over... We really hope that you can come to the East Coast and dive with us sometime. Absolutely. I wanted to go this summer. It was like the whole plan. I was like, I want to go to Halifax. I want to dive. I want to free dive. I want to meet the sea foxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, this whole COVID sucks because I, I wasn't able to go. So because I remember even a few months ago, we were you know, discussing maybe having some free diving over there and yeah mm -hmm. didn't get to go and yeah it's 100 on the books i've never been out east so it's it's a must i mean i saw nick's picture the other day of a what was it what kind of a seal was it a seal and i was like yes please <laughs> the and then his real puppy like yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm there yeah. come hang out with the sea puppies and the land puppies <laughs> careful you might not be able to get rid of me and i won't want to come home <laughs> that's that, okay that's you can right. stay <laughs> I, I hear migrating to nova scotia is the latest trend these days so you know yeah, you're more than welcome yeah. we'll take a minute here and take a commercial break and we'll be right back with more from irene marcus Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com welcome back everyone we are speaking with irene marcou so, Irene, uh, this year you were selected to be an ambassador for Girls Set Scuba, which is super exciting, and I'm a huge fan. So can you just tell our listeners what that means exactly? 
basically they contacted me over social media. They they liked what I was basically trying to promote that diving and freediving is for every body. And right now we're trying to get more involved and sort of spreading that message and all the other messages basically from the 10 ambassadors from all over the world to get just more women in diving. So trying to get more on social media, writing blogs, maybe promoting some cool uh, content and sometimes gear. That's awesome. And speaking of that content, we I know you wrote that article recently for Girls to Scuba talking about being a plus size woman in the dive industry and how wetsuit shopping is is can be challenging or impossible to find sizing. I'm a dive shop general manager. I can hear where you're coming from there because uh, yeah, the the sizing can be difficult on my end. <laughs> trying to discuss that with people sometimes is is a little difficult. Can you tell us about your experiences with that with that issue? Basically, there was a lot of tears at the beginning <laughs> when I first got certified and then years later when I was trying to buy my own wetsuit, especially when you're uncomfortable. I think also sometimes people in dive shops don't know sizing very well. So they just think, yeah, yeah we'll have a, a, a wetsuit that fits you. And really, usually they, they bring out a size that's, you know, maybe four or five sizes too small for you. And it's, it's right. hard to you know, say, Hey, sorry, that's, that's not what I need. Usually people are really good with BCD sizes, but wetsuit sizes is quite different. Sometimes it's, it hurts and it's hard, but you know, now that there's more sizes available, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think people as long in the dive shop, as long as they're, they stay open-minded and courteous and not put anybody down because of their size, then that just would be a great plus. It's really interesting too, because sizing in wetsuits is so bizarre. So it's like someone who wears like a dress size eight might be in a size 14 wetsuit. So even though it's just (laughs) bizarre, so now you understand why women don't really like them, even if they're, a, yep. you know, a nice spelled size six or eight, you know, mm-hmm. because then it's like, well, that's insulting. Like, I'm not that size. <laughs> How rude. And all of a sudden you've just turned off a diver. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't know why they size them the way they do, but it is strange. And then, of course, men just get like small medium large xl but yeah it's that's that could be a whole podcast in itself yeah luckily though i found my wetsuits and i'm no longer crying so don't you worry about that oh well that's good and where did you end up finding your wetsuit now the like the only ones for scuba that i wear is uh tommy d sports in the states you know they're not the high level quality that I'd like, like, you know, some of the bear or whatnot, but Hey, they fit me and they're affordable. So yeah, I have quite a few from them, like different thickness, depending what I need. And for free diving, I just went custom. Uh, a friend of mine uh, suggested a smaller place in France, like a family owned business that he, he knew personally because his family, he and his family are from France. So we just, did a grouped order and, and I'm super happy with how my freediving wetsuit turned out. Is that the wetsuit? It's on your Instagram and it has like the pink seams? Yes, I chose that. 
I really like that one. Totally I thought that was cool. Crazy. Yeah, I'm same. <laughs> I used to be totally anti-pink for scuba stuff, but now freediving, I, I decided to just run with it. Like, just go all out. It seems to be split. Like, either you're all for the pink or you're like, no, no pink. So <laughs> it's, it's split. <laughs> well, me, my first thought was, I remember after summer trainings at the outdoor pool, struggling to find your own snorkel after. Hmm. Um, you know, depending on the exercise we were doing. And I was sick of having to scramble for my black snorkel. So when I found <laughs> my super bright pink snorkel, I was like, yes, nobody will ever, ever mistake their snorkel for mine again. That's like half the reason I wear a hot pink mask. It's just because I always know it's mine. Everyone knows who I am underwater. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like how it looks, but no, like that's that's half the reason. Just so you know that it's yours. <laughs> uh huh. Because most guys wouldn't be caught dead with pink, right? That's right. That's right. So, Irene, being an ambassador for Girls That Scuba, I'm sure it's connected you to a ton of interesting and like-minded women. Oh, absolutely! It's amazing. Just the sense of community, like. From the get-go, even just between us ambassadors, we have our group chat. And I realize, like, I've made these awesome friends that I can't wait for COVID to be over so I can go and visit um, them, like, all over the place. After Halifax, of course. And then just having, you know, so many women write to me and be like, wow, you know, like, you inspire me or, or you, you know, I'm going through the same thing or I'm having difficulty with my buoyancy. What can I do? And I, cause I find a lot of instructors don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. We do need a lot more weight cause you know, we float, you know, the girls float and uh, you know, like don't make us feel bad about it. And so I try to help them any way I can. I think it's really important to have the female presence and especially in instructors because yeah, there's so many uh, things that, women deal with that male instructors might not think about like I mean even when it's our time of the month you might have to adjust your weight by a couple of pounds I mean a male instructor is never gonna know that right (laughs) nope nope Mm. or you know how to weigh your weights at that time of the month so it doesn't make everything worse you know yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) like I remember once even being in the shop and having there was two plus size students they were trying on wetsuits and I was like you know what hold on a second when them go my car got them my wetsuits and be like try those on and if the store doesn't have proper size you can borrow mine for your pool sessions and if it's something you want to continue you can buy your own but before you invest like have no problem just take my stuff you know it's it's fine anything I can do to help Mm. for people to be comfortable and dive that's and that's level. huge. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's that's really. I was going to say that's really important, especially when somebody's first starting out in a sport, right? Because if if that is a barrier to entry for somebody, then then we're not doing them justice, right? And we're not doing the sport any justice either. Exactly, and that goes for anybody of any size. If you're freezing cold, mm-hmm. you're not having fun. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, but I'm I'm talking about like any barrier, right, to entry that that, that provides, right? Yeah. Yeah. Changing gears a little bit here, we we hit upon it a little bit earlier that you've dove quite a few places around the world, Canada to Switzerland to the Black Sea in Asia. Can you tell us what's the where do you like it the most? I 
think for me, the Red Sea was, I, you know, not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I would call it the multiple orgasm of diving. <laughs> I just loved it. I have to say, I mean, I, I've enjoyed so many of my dives, but the Red Sea for me definitely was the most spectacular experience. Like the week I spent there, I would love to do that again for sure. But closer, you know, closer and, and second best, I would say, is uh, Cozumel. I've never been disappointed. It's a hop, skip, and jump from here. It's fantastic. The weather's great. The diving yeah. is great. Just too much current for free diving. That's the only downside. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little, little tough there popping up or quarter mile down the beach <laughs> i did one day of free diving in, in that cracking uh current yeah i was mm-hmm. dead after it was amazing but i was dead <laughs> it depends what you're trying to achieve though right because drif- drifting down a reef is a lot of fun we were trying not to drift so we had to swim back sometimes but i think i caught 10 <laughs> turtles that day so yeah. it was so worth it um and um hearing the splendid toadfish uh, because you're not wearing scuba gear and you can hear everything. Just listening to them is just a hoot. So. It's definitely one of the reasons why I like free diving so much. It's just the, the peace and tranquility of it and, yeah, being able to hear things that you wouldn't hear otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because usually the splendid toadfish, you only hear them at night when you're scuba diving. Mm-hmm. But apparently when you're free diving, you hear them all day. So you were saying that the Red Sea is so amazing. What What makes it so amazing for you? Everything is great. Like, <laughs> the coral is good. Uh, and the, the life of the, the different types of fish, the sizes of fish, the little things, the big things. Like, it's a buffet, you know? It's got everything you want. Okay, maybe not so much macro. But, yeah. but you know, I can live with that. I mean, there's right. Rex galore. Um, there's history. What's not to love? Uh, it's some place that I've never been, and it's on my list of uh, destinations for sure. So, it's, uh, you have to do yeah, it. Look. you have to like seriously do it. Uh, I yeah. cannot, yeah, just get out of those super tourist centers mm. where a lot of the reefs unfortunately have been trampled. Right, and just get out a little bit, and it is magnificent. So, do you like liveaboards or there, or are you? Uh, you or can you do just both, know some good spots? either or. Obviously, if you do live aboard, you'll be able to see some of the further wrecks and reefs that are, are even more spectacular. But for my first one, I uh, had done just the day dives from the boat, mm-hmm. especially since I went with my sister, who was doing her open water course. So it was great to see that. Because I'm the little sister, so I wouldn't teach my sister. But I offered her <laughs> right. in the Red Sea. Now I've spoiled her and she won't dive with me here in Quebec. Yeah, that's going to be challenging. Start at the uh, <laughs> start at the top. Yeah, yeah. I kind of shot myself in the foot there. <laughs> so, I, Irene, can you maybe tell us what what keeps you diving? I know we we touched on some of that a little bit earlier in in, in the interview, but maybe tell us about that, or or maybe what's your most memorable dive story that that sort of you hold dear to your heart. Hmm. I. Definitely keep diving because it just, it, it's at this point, I think it's like a must for my mental health. It just, it feels so good. I, no matter what kind of day I had or week I had, I, once I'm in the water, I have to push it aside because I have to be completely relaxed to do my free diving. And I think that's why I even love it even more than scuba diving at this point. It's because I have to let go. 
And even though I struggled a lot with that at the beginning, it's great to, to be able to relax and then just be completely in the moment and just feeling your sensations. And, and yeah, I'm a little competitive with myself. We can't, you know, (laughs) completely rid of that. So of course I'm going to be like always trying to push myself, but in, in a healthy way, in a, a safe way, obviously. I'm nowhere near uh, reckless in any way, shape, or form. I've never been anywhere near a blackout. <laughs> Knock on wood. You know, because right now my blockage is usually myself, my fear, or my ears. So. Yeah, I think you, you speak to a lot of people's work in free diving, especially. Yeah, it's, there's, you know, a little bit of personal, a little bit of ears, uh, but it's definitely amazing. Well, Irene, I really appreciate you sharing all that with us. We've got a couple more segments here, and I hope you can stay with us, Irene, as we chat about Nick's Think Blue segment. So, yeah, so this this week I've been reflecting on some of the you know sad events that have been unfolding here in Nova Scotia. And I guess I wanted to say a few words on behalf of the team and something that we haven't really done on this show before, and maybe we should have. But I take the opportunity to acknowledge that we live on and, and broadcast this podcast from unceded and unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. And I'm not trying to say that as an act of tokenism, but, you know, really a a recognition of our presence here as treaty people here in Nova Scotia. And partly in the light of what's been unfolding in in the lobster fishery here in southern Nova Scotia with, you know, some some really shocking and unacceptable events, racism and vigilantism that's been expressed in recent weeks. And I guess and the reason I'm sort of bringing that up because I think blue, because I think it has a relevance to us as, as divers and, and how we view the ocean. When we venture into the ocean, we probably don't think of the space as, you know, having cultural relevance. And probably we really don't think much of, you know, what that means in terms of indigenous importance. But why would we, right? After all, we're only there for a brief transient period of time. Uh, most of us rarely venture in to remove or destroy anything. And by and large, we mean no harm, right? We're just there to enjoy ourselves. But at the same time, the, you know, the idea that water below the high tide mark is distinct from the land above it, it's actually a legal construct that you know, really stems from a Eurocentric colonial history, which is especially true in the North where the Inuit consider the sea an extension of the land, if we can put that in terms that we can relate to. So when we dive in Nova Scotia, we should also consider the ocean, that space in which we have the privilege to enjoy as unceded and unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. We should consider that when we travel elsewhere, you know, outside of Canada, because coastal spaces and the ocean hold tremendous cultural value and sacred value in some cases for many cultures and indigenous peoples around the world. Fiji, which Justin's going to talk about a little bit in his travel segment coming up, comes to mind as one of those destinations. So there's been much said about the sustainability and the conservation of the lobster fishery in recent weeks as uh, the Sebenigidi First Nation have tried to assert their constitutional rights. I will post some articles about that so people can read up on that and, and how that a lot of those arguments have been really de- debunked. What we must recognize is that when people's right to the ocean and its resources are infringed, it not only affects their culture and livelihood, but also their ability to contribute to the future of a healthy and sustainable ocean. And, you know, when we talk about sustainability and think blue, it's not just about banning single-use plastics or watching your carbon footprints, but it's also about understanding and recognizing the inequities that exist, whether they're racial, economic, social, or otherwise. And that really impede, you know, on a path for us to work together for healthy oceans. So as divers, you know, we often don't think in, in such terms, 
I just wanted to encourage divers when you're on your next dive to think about who you share the ocean with or who might be excluded from it and what it might mean to them. And if you're diving in Nova Scotia, next time you see a lobster, pause and reflect on the turmoil that's occurring at the surface right now. And you can learn about and honor the rights of those who have shared the land and the ocean with us. Because in the end, we're all treaty people. That was really powerful, Nick. I mean, that was uh, really well said and really well put together. Yeah, and definitely my my little bit of travel in, in Fiji kind of definitely puts that in a different light, thinking about, well, just, you know, people coming to other people's countries and opening a hotel. I mean, I, Irene's traveled a lot. I don't know if she's had experiences with, with culture and ocean spaces. Not so much in that way, but I, I the quarry that we dive is actually on Mohawk land. It is, is a Mohawk mm-hmm. property. So I, I do try to always be thankful and honor it because I know what it means. Uh, even though it is not the ocean, it is a quarry, it still has you know aquatic life, fish and whatnot. And I, I, I do try to be, to be mindful of that, to educate myself and to show the utmost respect. Yeah, I do realize, you know, I, I live on stolen land, and, but I, I try to educate myself as much as possible and, and be thankful for all the, the times I, I'm in that water and I have access to, to the Ganawage uh, quarry on, on Mohawk land. Yeah, and I definitely think if everybody gave it even a moment of, uh, of thought and reflection, then we'd all be in a little bit better place right now. And yeah. I have got another travel segment this week, and this time I'm going to talk about a place that I really love, and that is called Banga Lagoon in Fiji. It's uh, spelled B-E-Q-A in case you're looking it up, but pronounced Banga. When I flew to the island of Fiji, they provided airport transfer from the airport to the boat that you had to take to the island where the resort was, and the <laughs> the Airport transfer came complete with a coffee stop, conveniently located gift shop about halfway to where the boat departed from. And then we take a boat ride over to the island. It took about an hour to cross the the bay over to the island. And then there's a couple of resorts on that island and uh, only one on this side where Bangal Lagoon is. And it's a beautiful, you know, has all the stuff you would expect to see on a uh, tropical island in Fiji. There's a local village full of uh, indigenous peoples there that you can visit. They all actually also work at the at the resorts, and the resorts also supply free power and stuff to the to the village, so that you know, I guess that uh, they can help out and give back in that way as well. the The hotel itself is much like you would expect with the thatched roofs and water features. It's got a nice r- restaurant where you'll eat all your meals there. They have fire walking and a kava ceremony, which is kind of interesting if you've never done any of those before. They have amazing snorkeling right off the beach there, or shallow scuba diving, and uh, the diving there is fantastic with huge reef systems and uh, so much life and despite the rough conditions when i was there the colors and the life are the most vibrant and plentiful that i've ever seen anywhere in the world i mean there were so many new ranks you could spend your entire trip just taking a picture of all the new ranks you saw on a dive and then you'd spend your entire nights trying to look them all up because there were so many they also have a shark dive there where they do shark feeding so depending on your opinions on that and feelings on that but i did do it few years back and it was pretty amazing giant nurse sharks as big as me and so many other species of shark let alone so many fish you could barely see the sharks and they have a like a five meter tiger shark that uh, likes to make appearances 
on that dive. So definitely a place I've loved and on my list to go back to again, along with so many other places, Bangal Lagoon in Fiji. I feel kind of bad because we're starting a travel segment in the middle of COVID and no. I kind of want to go places, but I can't go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I know. it's challenging. It's, you know, just helping people make their lists for, for the next few years. That's where I, I have to. a list on the go. A huge list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we heard about Irene's list. What's on your list, April? First, I want to go to Iceland. That's like yes. where I really want to go right now. Hmm. It's number one. Yeah. And I've seen people, recent pictures there, free diving in Silfra, not just uh, scuba diving. And there was somebody free diving in a dry suit, which I thought was a wild move. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that too. Like, it must be very difficult to free dive in a dry suit. I would call it nearly impossible after a certain depth, but you know, hey, you can do it. Try it. It's all about that suit squeeze. So basically what's going to happen is Irene's going to come visit in Nova Scotia and then we're all going to get on a plane and go to Iceland. How's that sound, Irene? Yes. Can we? Yes. I just need a proper wetsuit because I don't think my three mil will cut it in the (laughs) silver rift. But it's so far up on my list. Like you have no idea. I'm down. Let's do it. I'm dying to go. Let's just, yeah, let's make a trip of it. Let's all go. Okay. Perfect. So, we'll just have to sell uh, a bunch of places on that trip so we all can go for free, in, which is the true dive shop way. It is. Amit <laughs> Amit said he's going to buy a spot. Oh, perfect. Amit's paying? <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sure. You heard it here. That's why he, that's that's why he's not here tonight. He's totally out Yeah, he had money, to work so. overtime so he can afford the Iceland trip. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm going to use this chance to thank again. Uh, Thank you, Irene, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Well, I'm just happy to be here. My pleasure. Definitely appreciate it. And I also have to uh, thank Nick. Thanks for uh, setting this all up. It's a pleasure to be here as it is every week. And thank you, Irene, for coming on and chatting with us. It's been a pleasure. And April, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this, I gotta say, this was one interview I was super excited about. Irene and I find you very, very inspiring. And everything you've done is just amazing. So it was an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight. Oh, why are you coming back to Montreal? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe I'll just pop by sometime. She's actually in Toronto. I don't know if you knew that, right? Yeah, I'm in Ontario right now. No, what are you doing there? I don't know. It's a long story, Irene. We won't get into it. I'll pop by Quebec. There you go. There we go. Just pop on by. I'll pop on by. You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at divein.thepodcast. Our email is divein.thepodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.diveinpod.com. On there, you can send us a voice message. You can find links to all of our past episodes. On social media, you can follow me at idiveok. April is at April Weigert. Nick Winkler is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. You can find links to everything we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes or on the website, diveinpod.com. Next week, we speak to renowned freediving cameraman and photographer Dan Verhoven. This week's episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Head over to your favorite podcast to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.